Hello, hello. Welcome to the feedback link. If you have been with us all year, I just want to say thank you. And if you are new to joining the VBAC Link podcast, I'd like to say welcome. Welcome to the show. This is the last episode of 2023, and it's kind of hard to believe, honestly. I, we have, I kind of like went through all of our episodes, and we have seriously so many incredible episodes. I am so honored for those who have come and shared their expertise and given us their time. I am so excited today to share this last episode of the year with the most common 2023 questions. We have some pretty common questions, but we have so many others as well. So of course, we have a review of the week. So I want to dive into that really quickly before I get into those questions. This is from Krista B., says, I'm a birth and postpartum doula who is always on the search for a birthy podcast to listen to in my car. I was so excited when I found the VBAC link so I could listen to these amazing stories from women all over the world who have reached their goals through becoming educated thanks to Megan and Julie. I've recently certified with the VBAC link and as well, I'm so impressed by the thorough delivery in which their knowledge was shared in their training. I'm super excited to move into this next chapter of my career and I'm thrilled to do so with the amazing community and support. Thank you so much and thank you for joining our family. Doulas, birth workers, birth photographers, if you love birth and you are wanting to learn more about VBAC and how you can support people out there who are wanting to VBAC, who are wanting to avoid cesareans, who are just needing support from the community. We have our VBAC birth worker, VBAC doula birth course, where we are going to teach you all the things about VBAC, as well as help you know what us as VBAC moms are up against. And parents, if you want to dive in and get more educated for you for your future birth, I highly suggest checking out our course. You can check it out at the VBAClink.com. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, you guys, we have so many questions that we get all the time. And if you haven't also joined us on Instagram, we do a Q&As almost weekly. We love answering their questions. Even if it's a question that we've had before, we're going to get to it and we're going to answer it. So here are some of the most common questions that we get. Number one on the list is how long after my C-section do I have to wait until I get pregnant? This honestly is a question that I think is personal. Now, there's suggestions out there by providers who are saying anywhere between, you know, like 18 to 24 months is what we commonly hear. But 
we even have some providers are like, yeah, cool. Like 15 months, you can go on and, and have your baby. There can be increased risk of uterine rupture with a really slow gap, a really small gap, I should say, or duration. And so if you have had a C-section and then three months later you get pregnant, you may have a provider who's a little bit more skeptical or even six months later, you may have a provider that's a little bit more skeptical and talking about the risk of uterine rupture, but that still doesn't mean it's not possible or impossible or you're for sure going to rupture. I think a common rule of thumb is, you know, that 18 to 24 months. But again, it comes down to a very personal decision. If you want closer babies or it happens or whatever, I think that's more of a personal choice. And then just finding the support out there to support you in your desires. I did a one-on-one consult with a mom back here in the fall and she had a six-month duration and she went to provider to provider to provider and they all said no absolutely not we got her in contact with another provider and they said yeah no no problem like there's no reason and she i was so excited to get a text message from her after saying she did it she had her vaginal birth and she was so happy and that was a duration of six months okay Another question that is uh, really common is trying to go for a VBAC and really want to go into spontaneous labor, but a provider is saying they can't go past 41 weeks. They cannot go past 41 weeks. Now, I'm just going to say I don't like the answer to that. The um, follow-up question to that question was, should I switch my provider? You know, and we're not here to tell you, you know, for sure you need to switch a provider or anything like that. But if you have a provider that is putting stipulations on you, like you cannot have a baby past this day, and if you get to that day, you have to have a C-section, you may want to look into some other providers because that's just not evidence-based. So going past 40 weeks in general is something that has become more and more controversial, especially after the ARRIVE trial. And we have episodes on the ARRIVE trial. We have blogs on the ARRIVE trial. Um, So make sure to check those out as well. It's kind of where they did an induction at 39 weeks for first-time moms to see if it would reduce complications like hypertension, preeclampsia, and even cesareans. And so it's kind of been since like 2019, I feel like more of a hot topic, but it's actually pretty common for babies to go overdue. And I am putting big quotes on this, overdue past 40 weeks. And so know that if you have made it to 40 or 41 weeks, it's very common and you're okay There are common things that a provider may do at 41 weeks. They may suggest a non-stress test, just just checking on baby, making sure everything is going well, but it's still okay. In fact, ACOG suggests, I think it's 42 weeks really. So, you know, at 41 weeks, you could still be pregnant for a week or you could have a baby in three days or even three hours. Studies have not really found any increase in the risk of uterine rupture or other complications necessarily like that after 40 weeks. However, you know, there's there's things that can kind of come into play where VBAC after 40 weeks maybe 
lower or require interventions because there may be things like hypertension and and things like that that come into play. But even if your provider is saying that you can't go past 41 weeks and you have to schedule C-section, that right there is a red flag and something that would be concerning to me because induction is, which is also another question, can I be induced and have a VBAC or can VBAC be induced? VBAC can be induced and it's very reasonable. There are ways to do it. Some tips that I would suggest is doing as low and slow as possible. Now, we got a message back um, one of the days that we did a Q&A by a mom saying that she did not believe that it was possible to do low and slow. And I do disagree. I think that it is possible to do low and slow inductions. I've seen it. It happens all the time. You do have to sometimes fight for it and be educated so you can un- like have that conversation and understand what that means. So let's talk about low and slow. Meaning, if we're starting Pitocin, we are not upping it four milliliters every 30 minutes. A lot of providers out there will suggest that. Four milliliters every 30 minutes, boom, 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 boom. And it's a little overwhelming, first of all. Sometimes it takes our body a little bit longer to respond fully. Now, Pitocin, once it starts going in, you know, it's in the body, but it may not fully be responding. So if we up it every 30 minutes and then we take 45 minutes to respond, then it may be too much, right? And four milliliters versus two. So maybe um, you say, okay, like, let's cut that in half. So instead of four, we do two or even one. Sometimes there's a lot of pushback on that one because they're like, oh, it's pointless. It will take forever, but it still is okay. It's still okay. So decide what milliliter uh, is best for you and go for that and fight for that. So low and slow there. And then another thing is avoiding breaking water or too many interventions all at once, meaning we're going to place a Foley, start Pitocin, and break your water all at the same time. That is unnecessarily. We really, really, really do not need to do that. That just can get a lot of the time overwhelm everybody, including the baby. So, but breaking water. So, breaking water in that earlier stage. So, maybe we have, in fact, we shared a story, or we're sharing a story. It's coming up in 2024. I just recorded it not long ago, where the mom was two centimeters and they broke her water. It wasn't really contracting, broke her water, started pit, all the things, not a lot of progress. So, progression. So, if we break our water early on, it's not a guarantee that our body is going to go into labor. But a lot of the times, there's a selling factor of this breaking the water where it's, well, it's the natural way. Okay. All right. Breaking our water is natural. However, artificially breaking our water does not mean that that's natural. That means that we are intervening and doing something that our body did not do at that point. So if we do that and we do that early on and our baby's high or our baby's in a weird position and then we have these floodgates open and the baby comes down and the baby's in a wonky position, now we've got a poor fetal position, not a lot of progression because that often happens, a harder labor, longer labor, maybe we're introducing more interventions and so it kind of becomes a cascade. So maybe when I say slow, like 
take it slow. Let's not intervene with every single thing that there is possible in the labor and delivery unit. Or, you know, maybe we just do a Foley or maybe we do Foley with a low-dose pit of two and we don't up it from there. That's it. That's where we start. We wait for the Foley to come out and then we, you know, assess after that. So low and slow inductions. And yes, you can be induced. And no, you do not have to be induced at 41 or 40 weeks. So, okay. The, one of the other questions, let's, well, there's, I mean, there's a ton, but uh, one of the other questions I'm going to go to is pre, so hypertension, can I still V back with hypertension? So yes, absolutely. You can still V back with hypertension. Sometimes providers will come back and say like, it can increase our blood pressure and things like that. It's kind of weird. I don't know actually if there's like a study that shows this, but a lot of my doula clients I, that have hypertension that go to be induced well, once they start labor, their blood pressure seems to kind of chill out. It's kind of interesting. I do not know why. But yes, you can still have a VBAC if you have hypertension. So another question is, is if you get induced, does your risk of uh, uterine rupture truly skyrocket to a just insane amount? We have heard people give us such crazy numbers like i have an 80 percent chance of rupturing i don't know where providers are getting that but no or i have a 60 percent chance or i have a 25 percent chance now if someone is telling you that you have these chances i would like to challenge you to challenge them now i never want to say be combative and you know the blah blah like that's not what i'm saying but I'm saying, don't be scared to ask, where do you get that information? Is there a link? Can you provide me with print, a print, printed information, you know, on this topic or on this stat? I would like to see that. I would like to go over this so I can make the best educated decision for myself. And if they're like, oh, well, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can find that. Well, yeah, it's because no, because <laughs> there's not one. And if there is one, and you do receive that, will you please email me at info at the link.com? I would love to see that. I've never seen a study that says that someone has an 80% chance of rupture because they've had a previous cesarean. Um, so statistically, uterine rupture really happens in about 0.4 to approximately 1%, maybe 1.2, depending on some providers and some studies. But overall, that's pretty dang low. That's really, really, really low. So if someone is telling you that you have a 60, 25, you know, 80% chance, that's just not true. And then another common question is ways to avoid uterine rupture. Now, we don't always know why uterine rupture happens. So it's hard to say exactly like what caused that uterine rupture. Because I don't know if you knew this, and it's very, very small, but Uterine rupture can even happen in people who have ha not had a previous cesarean. So that's a thing too. But things that we can do is try to avoid those inductions that are absolutely unnecessary. And if you do get induced, talk about those best, me best methods, like what we were talking about, or we have a blog about that as well, or we talk about that in our course. Really learn about those, those message and avoid 
aggressive augmentation. Avoid Cytotech completely. That's a big no, you know, and doing everything you can to make sure um, that your baby's in a better position. So maybe spinning babies, mile circuit, um, hands and knees, doing pelvic floor therapy so we can help our pelvic, our pelvic floor, you know, be in a position where we can push a baby out that way and things like that. So, you know, and educate yourself, listen to these stories, go attend our Q and A's. All of these things can educate you so you can help reduce things that may increase chances of uterine rupture like cytotech or aggressive inductions. Okay, another common question is if I have gestational diabetes, can I have a VBAC? Yes, 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 and yes. Yes, if you have gestational diabetes, you can still go and have a VBAC. Sometimes a provider may suggest an induction at 39, and I've even been hearing 38 weeks with gestational diabetes, especially if it's not managed well. So some tips that I would highly suggest is really understanding gestational diabetes, knowing that, you know, food and exercise and things like that can impact gestational diabetes and learning how to manage those if you can. So, and then like talking with your provider, understanding, you know, what they're going to be looking for, what they're going to be doing, because that's also going to help you stay more relaxed when you understand the process from them instead of like just being caught off guard. I highly suggest checking out the book Real Food for Gestational Diabetes by Lily Nichols. Um, We'll make sure to put the link in the show notes as well. But that's a really, really, really wonderful book to check out. And it's going to help you understand Um, a little bit more about how to manage those uh, sugars and just more about gestational diabetes. But also know that you do not have to be, you do not have to be induced if you have gestational diabetes. You, You just don't. But it's going to be really common to have that be offered. Okay, so a couple other questions that we get are, I had failure to progress big air quotes, failure to progress. And my doctor's telling me that because my body didn't do it the first time, it won't ever do it again. I'm sorry, but your provider is a big fat liar. (laughs) Such a big fat liar. Just because you didn't progress with one labor does not mean you won't with another one. And honestly, the more... Uh, it's more likely that you didn't progress because of an environment, because of a rushed um, labor, because of, you know, premature rupture or a rupture of membranes artificially and babies are coming down. So we've got a wonky position, um, lack ability to move during labor, things like that versus, or, you know, progressing, trying to push labor on and it's not progressing because labor wasn't ready to begin. These are things that truly are more likely to be the reason of failure to progress other than your body doesn't know how to get to 10 centimeters. Like truly, it it does. So know that if your provider's putting doubt in your mind that you can't have a baby because your body didn't do it before, you may not be with the right provider or you may have to fight hard. And again, it all comes down to, I think, finding that education and, and support. Another common question is, can I VBAC with twins? Is it safe? Yes, you can VBAC with twins. Yes, it is safe. Sometimes 
providers will have some stipulations as far as like baby A needs to be head down, baby B is okay to be breech, or sometimes it's like, oh, they both have to be head down. So they might have some restrictions on that. And a lot of the times they'll have you actually give birth in the OR, like they'll have you push and 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 give birth in the OR. But yes, research shows the vaginal birth for twins is generally safer than a cesarean, truly, even though some providers still discourage it. Some provider or a podcast to check out is Dr. Stu and um, Midwife Bliss. So they have an amazing, I think it's Birthing Instincts. Um, and they have an amazing podcast and they talk about twins and delivery and things like that as well. Okay, so common question is how can I prep? How can I prep for a VBAC? I'm going to give you a couple tips right here, um, which I already have said a couple times, but provider. Provider is really, 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 really important. You need to find a good provider, a provider that's going to support you, a provider that wants this birth for you just as much, right? A provider that is not going to disregard you and pull out bait and switches in the end with non-evidence information to scare you and then make you feel like no one's going to want to take you because you're already so late in pregnancy. So ask these questions before you, you know, settle in with a provider. Ask questions like, how do you feel about VBAC? Not, do you support VBAC? How do you feel about VBAC? Open-ended questions allows a provider to give you a lot of information without even saying a word. If they kind of stumble and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I feel good. It's fine. It's fine. You know, it's fine. Okay, no. If it's like, I actually feel like it's a better option and this is something I would suggest and this is why. And there's going to be pros and cons to it on both sides. There's going to be cons to you know, having a, a VBAC for these, here are the risks. There are going to be cons of having a C-section. Here are the risks. Yes, there are risks to having a C-section. Also, if your provider ever tells you that there's no risk to a C-section, that's bullshit. Sorry, saying it. It's end of 2023. That is BS. That is not true. So talking to your provider with open-ended questions. How do you feel about VBAC? Another question. How do you support your VBAC moms? What does that care look like? If they're like, yeah, totally, like, you know, it's just going to be like normal. We might check you if you go over, you know, um, you know, 41 weeks, we might want to do an NST or we might do this or, you know, something like that. And it's kind of lining up with evidence based. Like, okay, that's to be expected. It's like, yeah, no, totally. We love VBAC, but you have to have a baby by 40 weeks, has to be spontaneous, can induce, da 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 da. You have to get a just in case epidural. Those are all. Again, the BS answers that are going to tell you you're probably not in the right place. So open, open-ended questions for these providers. Number two, get the education. Educate yourself. So if you do have a provider coming in and telling you things that you are unsure of, you will have that resource to go back to and be like, oh, actually, I do remember that. And that's not true. Or, yep, I, that's right in line with evidence-based care. And it can also help you have a better discussion with your with your um, provider because you want that. They come in and they ask you, they say, do you have any questions? And they don't really have a lot of time, honestly. These poor providers are overworked, um, but they don't have a lot of time. But two, it will help your time be better when you do go to those prenatals. I remember going and they... <laughs> 
they were like 10 minutes long and it took a lot of energy to get there. And I'm just like, why? What is the point of these visits? Make a point to these visits, you know, ask these questions, learn the education so you can have those educated discussions and get a better feel for your provider. They can get a better feel for you. They can learn that they can trust you also because you are educated. They're not gonna second guess you if you're saying no to something that they're offering to you in labor because they know you're educated. So take a class, listen to these podcasts, read the blogs, get into the Facebook communities, learn what people are saying, read the links that are being shared. Education is important. Another way to prep truly is finding the support even outside of your provider. I feel like if you can have the support and the sounding board, it helps so much. With my VBAC after two C-section baby, I had it, but in places, I love the places that I had it, but I also, it lacked the places that I wanted it, you know, from like my family and friends. And that's really hard. So I think that's also another tip where education comes in because you can help educate your family and friends along the way when they're like, no, you can't be back. No way. Truly, uh, finding that support, though, is important and also prepping in a way that if you don't have that support, letting those people know you love them with all your heart. But unfortunately, you're going to you know, not be sharing your desires and things nutritionally and physically. Be healthy. Eat good food. Get new supplement, good supplements like needed. Drink your water. Stay hydrated. Make sure you're trying to get at least you know 30 minutes of walking a day. Staying active. Of course, if you have certain situations, you want to always make sure with your provider that it's all in line with your breathing plan and your personal situation. But taking care of yourself, it is truly important. And as we've learned with, with learned with needed and things like that. We know we're not getting the nutrients. We know we're not getting the hydration that we truly need every single day. And if we can try and get that, it can help our pregnancy be better. It can help birth be better. It can help in all areas and also help mentally. Um, I think that if we're fueling our bodies with the right things, then we truly are going to be in a better spot. Okay, so another question that... I have seen here and there and even more in the CBAC community is how do you deal or how do you cope with not getting a VBAC? Now, this can be hard and this can be sensitive because sometimes we have things in our head or think we were told certain things and then it's in our op report and we were led to believe something that actually didn't happen or we were led to believe something that actually wasn't documented. So I think that's a really good way to kind of process. So really understanding that it's okay to be mad or sad. It's okay to feel those feelings, welcoming them in, and then working through the process step by step. I definitely think that knowing that sometimes we don't know the answer and accepting that. We talked about that this year with our Radical Acceptance episodes. Sometimes not knowing the answer can hang us up and really, really impact us and bring us down. But knowing that sometimes we may not know the answer, we may not know the why, we may not know what happened. And trying to accept that and let that go, it's really, really difficult. But trying is trying to practice that radical acceptance is really powerful. So, yeah, so there are so many questions along the way 
um, that we've been asked, but these are kind of some of the most common. Um, another one, I think probably the last one that I'll share today is an epidural. Do I have to have an epidural if I have a VBAC? No, you don't. No, 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 you don't. You do not have to have a just-in-case epidural if you're wanting to go for a VBAC. There's just, you just don't. It takes time to dose an epidural. So I think in, if you look at it and you think about it, you're like, it kind of makes sense. Okay, they place the epidural. It's already placed. That can take some time, but then they have to dose it. And then that, but then they have to don't wait. What? Maybe it doesn't make sense, right? Okay. So I'm just walking through you. Like, it sounds like it makes sense until you walk through it. So then they have to dose the epidural, which then takes anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes to really work and get to a point where they can perform a C-section. And so a just-in-case epidural, although, yes, it takes the time of placing it, it doesn't take the time of dosing. And a just-in-case epidural is typically placed just in case there is an emergency. And if there is a true emergency, they're not going to have the time to dose that epidural and get it to a point that it's ready for you. They're going to probably do general anesthesia at that point. And so the just-in-case epidural, I think, is just bull. I don't like it. I don't like when a provider puts a restriction on someone like that. Like, you want to go unmedicated? Well, okay, well, sorry, you can't. You can be back, but you can't go unmedicated. You have to have it, or or you have to have just a, um, a just-in-case epidural. So do you have to have an epidural? No. Another common question, can I have a VBAC if I have an epidural? Yes, absolutely. Going unmedicated is not for everyone. Or if you're wanting to go unmedicated and then you have a really long labor or something's happening and you decide to change your mind, that is okay. Women of strength, plans change in labor. It changes all the time. I see it time and time again through clients, through things. And it doesn't always mean the plan is to change from an epidural from no epidural to an epidural. Maybe it's from this to that, or maybe it's, I didn't want IV fluids. Now I need IV fluids because I can't keep anything down. You know, it changes. Plans change. But yes, you can have an epidural with um, a VBAC and still have a VBAC. Know that if you are wanting to VBAC, but you're not wanting to go unmedicated, you can still do that. If you're wanting to VBAC and you're wanting to go unmedicated and your provider is telling you have to have an epidural or you have to have a just-in-case epidural, that is also false. Find what works best for you. And it all circles back down to education and finding the support in the provider and in the system. So also, okay, I lied. One more. Home birth. Is home birth safe? Yes, you can have a home birth. We have HBACs, home birth after cesareans, all the time. We have them on the stories. We have them on the blogs. We have them on our Instagram. We see them in the community. Home birth is a reasonable option for VBAC. Now, the providers in ACOG are probably not going to suggest it. So we go off ACOG a lot, but know that these providers are probably not going to suggest an out-of-hospital birth. But can you? Yes. Can you do it safely? Yes. Are there signs of uterine rupture typically before uterine rupture happens? Yes. Usually, do you have time to get to another location? Yes. So know that if you are desiring a home birth after cesarean or even a home birth after multiple cesareans, like me, VBAC after two C-sections, that is possible. It is totally, totally possible. Women of Strength, I just want to thank you so much for all of your continued support. 
we see it on Instagram, we see it on Facebook, we see it in our group, we get it in the reviews here. We love your support and we're so grateful that you are here. We truly are here for you because we love you. And I know I've said this before, it's weird for me to say I love you because I've never met you, but I do. I love you. I feel, I feel so passionate about helping you as an individual find the best path for you, whether that is VBAC, whether that is CBAC, whether that is unmedicated, medicated, in hospital, out of hospital, induction, spontaneous. I don't even care what type of birth you have. I want to help you walk through this journey and feel loved, supported, and educated. So again, if you are just with us, welcome. I'm so excited for 2024. We've got so many amazing things coming. If you have any questions about anything we offer, our podcast, our course, our blog, anything like that, always know you can email us at info at the vbacklink.com. That is V-B-A-C-L-I-N-K, vbacklink.com. And if you've been with us and you've had your VBAC or you're still working for your VBAC, or your birth worker or whatever it may be, and you are with us and you've been with us forever, thank you from the very, very, very bottom of my heart. I truly love you and I'm so grateful that you are here and we will see you in 2024. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas and more, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.